You are listening to Philip Mollica's Consciousness Evolution. I'm Philip Mollica. Today's column is entitled Other, the Third Gender, Part 2. Why we should consider abolishing the legal institution of marriage. In part one of our discussion, I gave the reader some background on my own life and how, given different socially acceptable choices, my expression would have likely been less male-oriented and more blended. And in that, the roles and choices I made within my lifetime and my overall identity may very well have been considerably different. Once again, I do not regret how my life shaped up, nor how I currently express my identity, but it has given me some insight into our current day circumstances where young people are questioning these roles and identities within their own lives, and many are making different choices in that regard, not content to be forced into roles and expressions that do not reflect how they feel about themselves. I admit that initially my impression regarding the subject was that all of it was much ado about nothing and that surgeries and medical treatments were extreme measures. Then someone brought to my attention that I had an attitude that I got through it, so what's the problem? I had not examined how my own influences shaped my identity and choices or that given the same circumstances today, I might very well do something different than what I did as a younger person. I think that here we must first discuss what is actually happening versus how society and media are presenting this movement of questioning identities and roles. The Overton window of this discussion centers around gender dysphoria and transgenderism. The conversation has been skewed to elicit conflict. That isn't an accident, as I will show, but it is also not an accurate depiction of the issue if we are to honestly assess what is happening and why. Gender dysphoria as an overall prognosis of what is happening is actually closer to the truth. But the discussion and issue, if we are to believe our media, centers around transgenderism females wanting to be male or males wanting to be female. In reality, the vast majority of dysphoria is males and females not wanting to be cast in either role. It is a rejection of the gender ideology, sexuality, and related societal expectations and roles based on physiology and the related sexual implications of what choices people make. I think what we need to do is back it up, way up. Why would anyone want or need to address to their gender? Because, first of all, we have made gender based on physiology and our related sexuality important and one of the primary forms of identity. Secondly, we have a state-sponsored institute called marriage that grants legal and even tax benefits to adults who sign up as a married couple. And in that, we have laws regarding who can be married to each other 
based on their physiology or physical gender. I think a couple of U.S. states have now amended their laws so that you can marry a lamppost or a pillow if you wish, but let's look at what marriage actually is and does. We have our government deciding what relationships are recognized as official. And therein lies our first problem. And someone remind me, why do we need our personal relationships to be audited by the state? Why do our personal relationships need to be official? Why is the state in our bedroom? Certainly the most important and the reason that would be first on the list is that it's about the children. Won't somebody think of the children? (laughs) At least that is what officially would be our primary legal reasoning. Our nanny state that we created in the U.S. has to ensure that when two people come together, preferably male and female, and have children, that those children are cared for, even if the relationship dissolves or moves into a different status. And in that, what are the two primary items in a legal divorce? The property settlement is first and pretty much universal. If that was the sole purpose of the legal proceedings, that would be one thing. But then, if there's children, child support is next. So what is the actual purpose of doing so? The welfare of the children, of course, but also so that the state is not put into a position of financially supporting children whose parents have become divorced. This is another aspect that derives from deep in our capitalist roots and psyche regarding earning our keep. Then in order to be regarded as valuable and worthy of basic life necessities, we must toil and work to earn that right. This is yet another unexamined belief that pervades our society and influences our choices. Again, We must go deeper into the legal reasoning that we all take for granted and that may no longer be important or relevant to these institutions. It's as if it's the 1950s and the man works and the female as a housekeeper stays at home with the children. When that relationship ends, the man goes about his business and the woman must now contend with caring for the children and also providing for them financially. Can't have the man hanging around the bar wasting his newfound wealth I hear Eddie Murphy's Mr. Robinson saying, I'm so glad the bitch is gone. While his now ex-wife goes on welfare and the state is forced to feed and clothe the poor, defenseless youngsters. Of course, none of this is relevant today. We have whole systems in place to ensure that both parents work and provide financial support for the children. Oh, and look at us. We've even updated the laws so that whoever takes the children, yes, the men are now allowed to be the primary custodial parent. The other spouse is now responsible for child support. We're so progressive, aren't we? (laughs) And capitalism, in its ever-exploitative wisdom, has created an industry around it. In this case, marriage is a huge industry. And the divorce industry makes up a great portion of that. From marriage planning to halls to caterers and florists 
to the flip side of lawyers and government agencies to clean up the mess left by divorce, especially when there are children involved. All of these together mean lots of jobs in America. This could be changed, but I find that many societal rules, laws, and constructs, which could be easily changed, are upheld simply to maintain the industry that springs up around them. Abolishing the legal status of marriage would certainly serve to disrupt many industries and would most certainly be harmful to our job market and our economics. Especially today in the U.S., where manufacturing jobs have been largely outsourced to other countries, and what is left is an overabundance of service-oriented jobs, which are now important to our overall economics, such as courts and government agencies which oversee child welfare. Can't let what's best for people get in the way of our economy. (laughs) It's also worth mentioning here that gender dysphoria care has become a new medical field and is itself a burgeoning industry. Leave it to capitalism to recognize any new development in society to exploit that market for profit. But it only works if one wishes to become that which one is not in terms of gender. No one makes any money on other if we were simply free to express as we wish without regard for our physiology. And in that, the implications for actual evolutionary changes to our physiology is not out of the question, and it wouldn't take millions of years. Humanity is not and never has been limited physiologically to two genders. Humans have traits latent in our species that we would consider as defects that aren't defects at all but are expressed physically in lesser recurrence to keep those traits viable and fresh. Hermaphrodite is one such physical expression that is an example of this. This isn't a birth defect. It is humanity ensuring our vitality within a wide scope of probable systems. Were humanity to enter into a circumstance or expression where hermaphroditic became a valuable physical trait, you can be sure that our species would have the ability to bring this trait to the forefront of expression. This is one of the little recognized abilities that the human species has. Gender and physiology is not as cut and dried as we would be led to believe. We are not limited to being a gonochoric species. So within this movement toward an expression of a third gender, we have plenty of latent physical traits that could be adopted by the mass expression to accommodate different choices of probable realities regarding gender, sexuality, and physiology. None of this is unheard of if we view all life on earth. Animals, fish, insects, there are all manners of different kinds of expressions of these types that are common in our world and even pervade our own species in lesser numbers. This means that the human species could quickly evolve new dominant physiological traits. And in this, 
if we are not limited physically to our expression of gender and sexuality, what other factors come into play that have resulted in gender dysphoria? What does marriage have to do with gender dysphoria? What are the actual effects of the institution of marriage and how does that play within this relatively newfound issue with the expression of our identity, both gender-based and sexual? My contention is that marriage sets forth an institutionalized approach to gender and identity that rewards coloring within the lines. The lines can be moved, but we continue to color within them regardless in March to and in step with our authorities. We often do not recognize who and what we have placed in the position of authority over ourselves and how that affects our choices and expressions. From the time a child is conceived and based on which authorities we patronize, gender plays an enormous role in the aspects of identity that are set forth for that child. From gender reveal parties to baby showers and clothes and toys, parenthood is literally awash in expectation based on gender, which in turn is based on physiology, which is then used by our authorities to control us and our choices. We unwittingly set a trap for a child to become some predicated version of whatever physiological gender they happen to be or to be the opposite of that. Transgenderism is officially recognized. Non-binary is considered a weird aberration. Opposition and or compromise within the Overton window is how control is levied. Notice that there are often only two choices recognized within the Overton window. Male or female, A or B, white or black, yes or no, Democrat or Republican. This is by design. From the authority's perspective, it doesn't matter which you choose as long as it's one or the other. When you can limit people to two choices, you can control those choices within a very narrow band. You can use the conflict and opposition to keep people's attention on each other and not at the system which is actually suggesting and enforcing that conflict. Meanwhile, the system then can go about its business with a minimum of interference from the fealty whose attention is focused elsewhere. So what about someone who doesn't wish to be either? Who doesn't want their identity tied to their physiological gender or its opposite at all? Our new woke ideology seems to now center on asking children or teenagers which gender they feel more comfortable as and then offering them counseling, drugs, and even surgeries to assist them with changing their gender if that is what they wish. But it's still only two choices. We're still forcing people to choose to be one or the other. 
If you choose male, you look and act this way. If you choose female, then you must look and act that way. We aren't really addressing to someone who wishes to be identified as neither. As far as I'm concerned, we're completely and purposely missing the point. No one wants to talk much about non-binary or other as a viable option. I think most people consider these people to simply be confused and it is not really taken seriously. They don't realize or believe that the condition is something that needs to be addressed to by all of us and that it would be to our benefit to do so. For one thing, our identities based on gender relate to how an individual expresses themselves sexually. We are not taking into consideration changes within our own expression as humans that have already occurred. Other has been around and is in fact the prevalent expression within humanity. I think it will surprise most people that the number of people who identify as other, whether publicly or privately, equals the number of people who identify as male and female. There are as many third gender, gender or other individuals in our world as there are the other two. I believe that were we to look with fresh eyes, we would see that this expression would touch every single family in our world. And yet, our discussion related to this subject centers around transgenderism. Actual transgender individuals only account for about 3% of the world's population, while individuals who feel or express outside of the two gender roles, again, either publicly or privately, account for approximately 50% of the world's population. And of the transgender population, the 3%, how many of them would have chosen or would choose to express as other if that were a viable and acceptable option? I know people are choosing it today, but how many people who are older have chosen other binary expressions who, much like myself, chose because of what was acceptable at that time that we were constructing our identities? How many people would now find that doing something different is just too much trouble or simply is no longer important to them? Sexuality also plays a part in the role of choosing or rejecting an identity. Many young people are foregoing sexual relationships. This is a trend that is touched on here and there, but it is more widespread than we would be led to believe. This is affecting our identities and expressions and the rejection of traditional beliefs around these aspects of ourselves. So it isn't just identity and roles that are being rejected. It's the whole big shebang of those things in concert with sexuality and relationships that is being brought into question. And at the top of this pyramid within our society is the institution of marriage. 
I think many, many people such as myself would welcome if the genders were simply ubiquitous and did not play a role in our society. Or at very least were a choice to express and identify as or not express as a guideline to our identity. But first we have to address why we as a society continue to adhere to rules and identities based on two genders. So as a society, while we pay lip service to freedom of expression, we still are trying to force people into the two physiological gender roles. We collectively pretend to not see individuals who are rejecting these identities and roles. And our mass media is playing a role in tune with our authorities to keep the discussion within the Overton window of only two officially recognized choices. This is why we see transgender issues almost every day on the news, but nothing about other or non-binary individuals. And the institution of marriage is used to somewhat blindly steer individuals into a binary and or sexual expression, even if it is the opposite of the physiology of the individual. Expression outside of the duopoly of gender is threatening in terms of control and economics, and our authorities are doing everything they can to maintain these outdated and limiting structures of our identity and roles. One of the main ways that this is being accomplished is through the institution of marriage and the forced adoption of a sexual identity, whatever that may be. Another way is the actual promotion of transgender over other or non-binary, since the expression of transgender still revolves around the precept of two genders, where other does not. In this way, rejection of gender ideology is controlled and remains within the either-or duopoly of the two accepted genders. If we were to abandon the legal institution of marriage and forced sexual identity, if we no longer made physiological gender important, I think it would go a long ways toward curing a great deal of gender dysphoria issues. It stands to reason. If gender and sexual identity wasn't made important, no one would need to oppose it. No one would need to undo anything that was heaped on them unwittingly as they developed. This is an issue that would go a long ways toward dealing with trauma within individuals. And in this time of the shift, this issue is not going away. Our identities are being brought to the forefront. We need to know who and what we are in order to move forward in our development as consciousness expressing humanity. The shift is bringing massive changes to our world and how we view ourselves. We will be interacting with other non-traditional sources such as the dead and extraterrestrials. And if we aren't solid within our identity, 
it is going to cause us considerable grief. Maybe we just need to get out of the gender, sexuality, and relationship business altogether. We need to dispose of old institutions that no longer serve us or are of benefit to us. These are traditions and unexamined beliefs that humanity needs to address to, and it seems the time is now. I don't know how to fix capitalism and the economy and personal identity and relationships as they are currently expressed, but I do know that all of these things are changing and changing rapidly, and there is one thing that would definitely benefit us were we to embrace it. How about people are just simply people? Thank you for your interest in exploring this with me. See you next time.